Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? No. You know what? Thank you, team. Really. Thank you. Today I post episode 100 of the ADHD Essentials podcast, and I wouldn't be here without you. I appreciate the support of all of my listeners. I appreciate the support of every guest who has been on this show. And specifically, I want to thank a few people who helped me get here, starting with Eric Tivers of ADHD Rewired. He got me started. He let me build off the foundation he built with his podcast. I wouldn't be here without him. Also, thank you to Jessica McCabe of How To ADHD. She got me my first big signal boost by featuring me on her How To ADHD YouTube channel. It literally doubled my downloads. She's also just an amazing person to be connected to, and I'm glad I can call her my friend. Also, Seth Perler of the Executive Function Online Summit and Attitude Magazine. They got me my second big signal boost, and I'm incredibly happy to be connected to them as well. I also want to thank Jeffrey Gordon, my excellent editor. He makes this an easier load to bear. And then there's the people who keep me motivated. Adam Wilson of Compassion, Lisa Miller of 3 Media Web, Renee Brooks of Black Girl Lost Keys, Aurora Holtzman of the Embracing Intensity podcast, and Kim Berry of the Being Unnormal podcast. And I, of course, have to mention Cameron Gott. Thank you, Cameron, for contributing the idea for this episode, being the person to help me execute it, and for being the first three-time guest on this show. Although, I'm not sure you're actually the guest in this episode. And, of course, my family. My dad, who has supported me in building both this podcast and this business. My sister, Lauren, who is always sharing episodes. My sister, Dee, who is excited every time she hears about my latest exploits in the world of ADHD. My wife, Amy, who puts up with me editing episodes all over the house and supports me when I'm exhausted. And my boys, Nathan and Gavin, whose excitement about this project inspires me to include them in this and other episodes and keeps me driven to set a good example for both of them. It is my honor to know all of you, and I look forward to connecting to even more people as this podcast moves forward. Of course, the best way to support this podcast is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So help me celebrate 100 episodes by letting the people in your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds know about it. Help me celebrate 100 episodes by throwing up that five-star rating and review on iTunes that I'm always bugging you about. And with that, welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to me. That's right, we're flipping the script, and I'm being interviewed for a change. In today's episode, we have a double shot of interviews. First, Cameron Gott interviews me about my journey to 100 episodes. Then, we flip the script on episode 96, and my kids interview me about the things that I do and what it's like for me to be in our family. 
The two interviews are separated by a celebratory blast of a noisemaker that will sound like this. <laughs> I'm sure you won't be surprised when I tell you that was the boy's idea. All right, let's get rolling. So yeah, so my name is Brendan Mahan. I'm an ADHD coach, consultant, and speaker. And um, I've been doing this work for, I don't know, eight years, maybe something, eight or nine. Launched a podcast, this particular podcast, in fact, about a year and a half ago, the beginning of 2018. And this is our hundredth episode. And instead of me doing the interview, my bud Cameron Gott is on here. He is an exemplary ADHD coach, been doing it way longer than I have. He is a master coach. And he has graciously offered to flip the interview structure of the podcast on his head. And he will be interviewing me about my journey to 100 episodes. So I'm pretty jazzed about that. Cam, how are you? I'm good. And I love that. Your journey to 100 episodes. It has a real ring to it, doesn't it? I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, Brendan. I am too. And um, the interview we're doing here, there's uh, a couple pieces I'd like to talk about first before we jump into the actual interview. Sure. And so um, I wrote a book on accountability and what I do in a sense is accountability coaching. And I think that a lot of people think about accountability like, um, did you do what you said you were going to do and kind of check that box, mm -hmm. right? I have an accountability buddy to check in with me on what I did. When in fact, in coaching, an accountability conversation is really about reflecting on an experience to dig in about uh, who you had to be to achieve that? What role did you play? And, and I think most important is what's your learning uh, that you can take and apply forward. And that's this sort of really beautiful cadence that occurs in coaching, right? Where we do this work with our clients to reflect on their learning and apply it forward. Right. The other part of this is those of us with ADHD are pretty lousy at doing this. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking loud. about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what'd you say? You say you, you don't know what I'm talking yeah. about? <laughs> so it's a chance for us to model for the audience what it is to unpack an experience, to look back and reflect, dig into the learning so that you, we can apply it forward. Because there's some stuff here that, again, you're doing your thing. You're marching through and uh, the week after the 100th, you're going to do the 101st and keep going. Right. And here we are at 100. It's just like, it's a great opportunity to pause, reflect, and look back. The reason why we don't do this well, I think, is because um, we don't reflect on our experiences because, number one, we don't even think about it. We don't think of it as an option. We like to take our, our rear, the rear view mirror in our car, we'll just sort of toss it out the window, right? We're not going to look back. We got to go forward because we've got so much to do. Right so much more to be done and I don't have time to look back and reflect. Or if we do, we put a really negative spin on it. It's often infused with regret and disdain or embarrassment. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. The 90s for me was basically that. <laughs> Jeez, you know, did I really do that? <laughs> the 90s, Brendan. That's the a 90s. whole decade. <laughs> oh yes, a decade. Okay. So we're going to start with, and the analogy I like to use is a rope bridge. Mm -hmm. And so I just had a client last week say, you know, do we have to use the rope bridge? Cause I get vertigo. I'm like, no, we don't use the, we don't need to use the rope bridge. Right. But really it's just a matter of 
you started in one place and you've gotten to another place and there's a journey along the way. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to visit these three places. And we're actually going to start with where you are now. At the 100th episode, who you are here and what's going on. So standing in this place, right, in this place of accomplishment after 100 episodes, to kind of look back over this achievement. And can we start there? Yeah, sure. So where are you as you stand at 100 episodes? What is it that you've got in your pocket? What is the biggest learning for you in this experience? Honestly, I think the biggest learning is to just ask. Like I recently reached out to Greta Thornburg. No, I'm going to say her name wrong, last name wrong. Uh, Greta Thornburg, who's doing all the climate change stuff and has brilliant on the autism spectrum. And I'm like, I'd love to get her on the podcast. Yes. The odds of me getting her on the podcast, realistically, probably fairly slim. Like she's talking to the UN. But if I never ask her, if I never send a contact email or message to her, then she's definitely never coming on the podcast. And so I asked, I'll ask again. There's a few other people that I would love to get on the podcast that are really big asks that I'm working on. Um, I just finished up reading Howie Mandel's autobiography, so I'm going to start contacting him. I'm sort of stalking him on Twitter a little bit to get maybe have him recognize my name when I contact. Um, I'd love to get Adam Savage on the show from Mythbusters. Yep. Um, he talks about ha having autism, and I don't know if ADHD is in there or not, but you know, ADHD and autism are cousins, and it's still it's still executive function stuff. It's still a useful interview for the show. He has an autobiography that recently came out that I'm going to have to read before I contact him. And then uh, I was just talking to some fellow ADHD folks this morning. John Hassel, who's been on the show in the past, said to me, you should get Will I Am on there from, from the <laughs> yeah, Black Eyed yeah, yeah. Peas. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that too. So I'm adding him to the list of a person that's really a big name to bring on the show. And, and honestly, yes, yeah, some of that is exposure. Some of that is to get myself noticed a little more in the wider world. But more it's about giving my parents a model, letting them see that there are people out there who have had significant success. And so your kids can get there. Your kid can be a lawyer. Your kid can be a doctor. They can get those advanced degrees. And if it turns out that maybe they can't be a lawyer, well, they can be a legal assistant. And that's still success. That still is a great position to have. And maybe they build to being a lawyer later and it just takes them five more years or something. If we don't have those models of success, then we don't get to get to know what to strive for. And on my end, seeing other podcasts get big guests, it gives me that sort of modeling. Like, hey, he got that guy. Can Maybe I can get that guy. And so that's one of my biggest learnings is, is to just ask, just put yourself out there and try and see what happens. What obstacle or block did you push out of the way in order to get to that point of just asking? Sometimes it's other people who are like, you want to ask who? Like that person's not going to come on your show. And some of it is my own internal dialogue. I've had to be able to say, yeah, I probably won't. It's possible. But if I don't ask, I'm never going to get them. If I do ask, then maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Probably the biggest obstacle that got me there was I set as a goal when I first started this podcast to have Dave Pilkey come on the show, who is the author of Captain Underpants and Dogman is his newer books. Because my kids liked him and they were like, Dad, he talks about ADHD in his books. There's a robot called 80HD. So 80HD. 
you should interview him. And I was like, okay, contacted his people, took three or four months, but I got him on. And that was a big deal for them. It was a pretty significant moment for me because it proved that I could get someone traveling in a higher public sphere than just ADHD. And so those are sort of the steps that got me there. That Dave Pilkey interview sort of opened some doors for me and mentally, not socially, but mentally. It was cool. I like how you're, and, and you're striving for the objective here, right, is, is powerful in the sense of finding models of success, right, and varied models of success, because uh, succeeding with ADHD is, is not, there's not just one approach. So many people have found different ways to be successful. And so having these individuals on to illustrate these different models, that's awesome. And related to that too, um, is the different kinds of people that I interview. I interview parents who have ADHD and they're just as important as Dave Pilkey. And I interview, I interview ADHD coaches like you, like Eric Tivers, and I interview school staffs, principals and teachers to get as much of a spread of perspectives on ADHD as possible. And, and as, I'm, as I'm saying this, another barrier to my getting people on the podcast that I haven't exactly gotten past yet um, <laughs> is just remembering to invite them. <laughs> There's a guy named Ross Green who has a phenomenal model of collaborative problem solving. And he's a psychologist and a parent educator and, and that kind of stuff. He's one of those experts. I would love to get him on the show. He's been a person I've wanted to get on the show since before I launched. I have not contacted him yet because I just haven't remembered to contact him. So after we hang up, I'll have to do that. <laughs> you want to uh, you want to develop a little accountability there, brother? Sure. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> we can do that. Uh, what was the guy's name again? Ross Sorry. Green. Ross. I'm going to ask about Ross. Is that all right? Yeah. Next time we pass, I'll see you in uh, I'll see you in Philadelphia, right? Yeah, at the very least. Yep. I can ask you about Ross. Um, so you were sharing with me uh, some of the data, right? It's pretty astounding. Over 130,000 total downloads in 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 less than two years, uh, starting with uh, 1,600 or 1,700 downloads the first month in January 2018, and um, in August you were up to 15,000 uh, plus downloads. Mm -hmm. Pretty remarkable. I want to ask a question about like, what's the, what's the biggest surprise? Like as you stand here and as you look back over this experience, what's the most surprising thing about this whole endeavor? Certainly the growth is part of it because that growth, there's two spikes in there. One is attributed entirely to Jessica McCabe and her featuring me on How to ADHD, her YouTube channel. Right. And there's another spike that sort of two things happened and it, I just attribute it to both. I'm not sure what the percentages are. But one was I was featured on um, Attitudes webinar series, which I'm sure got me a whole lot of new eyes or ears. And the other one was I was on the Executive Function Online Summit that Seth Perler puts on. And he was on talking about it prior to. And each of those spikes increased me by roughly 5,000 downloads per month. So some of it is, it's always surprising when you have a spike like that. But the bigger surprise is really the nature of steady progress and just doing the thing week after week, week after week consistently. I haven't missed a week since I launched. 
And I'm saying that with nine episodes to post. So I am officially committing to not missing those nine episodes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I am bad at practicing. Like as an ADHD person, I suck at practicing. I suck at that regular every day. You're just going to practice your instrument or your sport or whatever, right? I'm bad at that. It's something I've had to accept about myself and I'm working on it. Now that you're asking me this question, this steady growth is really because I've been practicing podcasting every single week for almost two years, for a hundred weeks, I guess. Um, and so to that end, I hope that I can transpose that lesson from podcasting over to martial arts and get my black belt a little quicker, because that is a pretty significant goal that I need to focus on more than I have been. But yeah, that, that's probably the biggest surprise is just the results of steady progress. So that language there, right, that, that internal dialogue of, I suck at practice, is there room to tweak that, given uh, the data and the evidence? There is, because if I know that I have an audience waiting for me with the podcast, then I can find the motivation. And sometimes it's panic, and it's scrambling to get the thing done by Friday, to do the thing consistently. And that means that I need to work on that with the dojo, which I've been doing, right? I've taken some of those lessons and now I have a private with my sensei so that there's that extra bonus level of accountability. And I, my kids go to the same dojo that I go to so that I get extra levels of accountability with them. Um, and that accountability is not just, did you do the thing? Did you not do the thing? It's also, how's it going? What's good? What's bad? That kind of stuff. In particular, having my kids go with me helps with that. But where I tend to trip and fall down with martial arts in terms of practice is doing it at home when I'm not at the dojo. That's the part where where I struggle with the practice side. Going there is easy, as long as I have the time. Sometimes other commitments get in the way. What I have to tweak is doing it at home when there are so many other things that I could also be doing and need to do. So yeah, in there somewhere is the lesson and the tweaking. What's got my attention is the practice of the podcast and actually how were you successful with that, right? If you're not great at practice, how did you get up every day or... Uh, weekly, right, and consistently deliver this product. What had you get that to a completion point every week for a hundred weeks? Um, a few things. One, I got into this podcast because of Eric Tivers, who runs ADHD Rewired. He does that podcast, and um, he he encouraged me to start up a podcast. I am part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network, which is just an incredibly informal thing. It's more something we say than something that is like a contract or anything like that, but it's a thing, right? And, and so I am riding on his coattails a little bit. I am the beneficiary of his audience in the same way that he is the beneficiary of my audience, but he has a much bigger audience than I do. And so saying that I am part of the ADHD Rewired podcast network, my reputation is going to affect his reputation. I am not good at damaging other people's reputations. I'm not good at damaging my own reputation, but it's even harder if I'm damaging someone else's. So Eric takes great pride in having never missed a week. And I remember when I was on his 100th episode and he was talking about having not missed a week. So he set the bar. I don't miss a week or he doesn't miss a week. So if I'm going to use that ADHD rewired podcast network phrase, then I need to maintain that same level of standard. So some of it's that. Some of it is I decided, right? Like I'm just not going to miss a week. And so I don't. Um, so some of it is just that decision and that determination to do the thing. I treat it as a profession. I don't treat it as a hobby. 
this is not a thing that is a commercial for my coaching services. This is not a thing that is just a way to get exposure. This is a service that I am offering to people who are affected by ADHD in order to help them. And so I have a duty to my audience to bring them good guests, to bring them good content, to bring them stuff that maybe they didn't know they needed to know, to bring them stuff that maybe they don't want to hear, but is hopefully useful for them to hear. And I have a duty to continue to do that at the pace that I've been doing it for the last hundred episodes and continuing at that pace until there's a reason why I can't. That, that duty provides a powerful context, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You have a clear sense of why you're doing what you're doing. Right. And so that can help to move you forward when you have, a, again, a week where you don't feel like it, right? Or things are just aren't going the way you thought they would. Yeah. Right? It might be more of a grind. <laughs> That's a lot. I just came through. I was, a, I was a temporary principal for a little while there. February through the end of the school year last year. And it was hard to spend four hours a day being a principal at a school and meet with clients and post a podcast. That was really, really challenging. One of the changes that I had to make was I had to hire someone to edit my episodes. So now I have a guy who works for me that I pay to do a first draft of the episode. So he goes and does the first swing through editing and balancing levels and making it sound good and that kind of stuff technical skills I don't have, things I can't do. And then I go through it again and sort of clean up whatever stuff he missed and whatever sort of my pickiness, because I'm a little more picky than most people. I'm going to cut out more ums and ahs <laughs> than, than someone else might. And I know, because I listen to podcasts and sometimes I'm like, you can edit that nonsense out, right? Like, why is that even in here? Why did I have to listen to that? But that editing process took a lot of time at first. That was four or five, maybe six hours per episode. And now it's an hour and a half, two hours. And that's only because every episode is 45 minutes to an hour long. So just listening to it is going to take an hour, let alone whatever tweaks I'm making. But that change had to happen so I could slog through less than I was. So we're going from kind of uh, where you are into your process, Mm -hmm. right? In the sense of how you build this thing and how you continuously build it, uh, make it better, more efficient. And also some on the, the front end of the impetus for it. So knowing Eric and having Eric's support, I want to go there in the sense of the beginning and before this all started, before January 2018, at the initial conception of this idea, like what was the impetus for this whole project? I was flailing professionally. I was not doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing. And so I was flailing. Uh, I was a teacher for a while and uh, stopped teaching because I just wasn't sticking with one job long enough. So I left and got a master's degree in school counseling with the plan to be a guidance counselor. My backup plan was to become an ADHD coach. So I sort of had one of the two of these things is what I will do. I graduated from grad school as an expert in ADHD and executive function. Having dabbled in ADHD coaching, I had begun to do workshops and speaking engagements on ADHD and that kind of stuff, and really thought that would help me get a job as a guidance counselor. It didn't, um, because guidance counseling is not seen as something that necessarily needs an expertise in ADHD right. and social-emotional learning and all that stuff, at least at the time. Now things are starting to change. 
And I wound up getting a job as a mental health clinician for a little while. That job was good. I learned a ton. I learned that I could handle lots of stuff that I didn't think I can, could handle, including like child abuse and addiction and that kind of stuff, because I was working with DCF families at the time. Stuff that I thought would be totally overwhelming proved to not be, which was beneficial for what I do now, because the stuff I do now isn't that. And that's, if I can do that stuff, I can do this stuff kind of a mentality. Right. But that company financially was looking a little shaky. I had options. So I went and became a special education teacher for a little while, but that's not what I applied to. The job I applied to was a social emotional, like instructor kind of job. And they said, well, you're an expert in ADHD. Would you like to be a part-time special education teacher instead? Would you be open to that position? And I'm like, sure. So I became this, a SPED teacher for a little bit, but I'm not licensed in that. So I couldn't stay there when they, when the year ended. Right. That left me going, I don't want to look for a job again. I'm sick of this. I don't want to do that process. It's overwhelming. It's just destructive to me as a person. And Eric was talking, he was like, well, maybe you should sort of do some ADHD coaching, come work with me, that kind of a thing. And my thinking was that I was going to come work for him. Like he was going to like, here is $30,000 a year or $40,000 a year or whatever, do this, this, and this. And I was like, awesome. But that was not his perspective on it. And we just didn't communicate as well as we might have. And so, um, and also he was moving into a new house at the time. So he had bigger things to worry about than helping me figure out what I was going to do with my life. So it, it turned into what it is now, which is great. He helped me get the podcast launched. He helped me launch coaching groups and sort of build an audience. And the way that our conversations worked was sort of like he was walking backwards into the ocean. And every time I thought I was going to get to where, where he was, he'd take a step backwards and I'd go a little deeper. But now I've met with success. Things are going well. Um, and the podcast is a major piece of it. And it's completely Eric encouraging me to do this that got me here. I remember him saying to me, I know you have the hustle to do a podcast and to do it consistently and to be something that I would be comfortable networking with you on and putting my ADHD rewired branding to because of what you do with your workshops. Because I did, I remember I set a goal to do 12 workshops in one year and was panicking. I was like, how that's like one a month. Oh my God. And then that grew to the next year I had done like 30. And now I don't even count anymore because they happen so much. But that was what he saw as an indication that I would be able to, to get the guests and do the editing and do all the work that is required for this particular endeavor. And I clearly have. <laughs> In addition to, I've done 35 workshops so far this year, I think, something like that. Might be closer to 40. And a weekly podcast and coaching groups and clients. And I was a principal and all this other stuff. And I'm a dad and a husband. So sometimes you just got to work hard to get the thing you want. Right. But through that, there seems to be um, a real clarity in uh, services you provide and kind of the, the constellation of those services. Mm -hmm. You have a sense of priority around each of these. As you're talking, I kind of imagine a, a puzzle just sort of fitting together, integrating nicely around Brendan, the podcaster, Brendan, the workshop guy, the presenter, the coach, the, the husband and dad. Yeah, I have a pretty good skill stack for that stuff. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about what Eric saw in you. And, and so, and I appreciate you answering that in the sense of, and, and this kind of goes back to your learning, right? The learning was just ask, just do it. Those of us with ADD can kind of hesitate around taking action, jumping in. 
And um, I, I just remember when I moved to Asheville, I was coming out of nine years of teaching and uh, just a crispy critter really burned out mm. and, in, and really wanting a mentor, very much desiring the need for some kind of mentorship. But I wasn't willing to put myself out there. And no mentor is going to go just like, yeah, sure. Right. They're looking for evidence. They're looking for who is this person? What are they made of? And, and right, like, g- give me some data right. here. And it wasn't until I actually went ahead and did that too, right? In the sense of putting myself out there in the workshops and working with people that then you get noticed and then you can develop your you know, army of support through that engagement, overcoming that inertia, resistance, fear of, right, is it going to be right? Right? Am I going to make a difference? You know, to again, put yourself out there but then put it out there and be open to support. And workshops are great for that because it's immediate feedback. You know right away if the way you're presenting an idea is good. You know right away if the idea itself is good. Sometimes it's hard to tell if it's the idea that's bad or the presentation that's bad or good. But a workshop provides you with that really quick feedback. And the fact that I started there, just because I was a teacher and I was comfortable talking to groups and I was like, all right, then why don't I talk about ADHD? So that background in presenting has helped me both build an audience because they every time I do a workshop that's another 50 to 100 people who know I exist and know about the podcast but also I'm workshopping ideas that I'm coming up with how do I say this is that good is it not good is this something that's useful and meaningful to people is it not useful and meaningful to people that kind of stuff and then that comes to the podcast you're talking about the the significance of having outlets for all of the ideas we have. Mm -hmm. You have an idea and then you have an outlet to share that idea, to um, expand on something, right? Whether it's in the podcast, whether it's in a workshop, whether it's some kind of teaching engagement. I think that so many of us with ADD are frustrated. We have so many ideas, but we don't have vehicles to, to, nurture and grow those those uh, those ideas that we have to find a place to facilitate the growth and nurturing of an idea into something more than just an idea that it can be shared the power of this podcast is in the sharing the sharing of accurate and valid information that people can apply immediately absolutely that's powerful stuff in this day and age of so much misinformation especially around ADD. And it's important to me that I'm getting valid, proper information out there to my audience. That's that's huge. To the point that there's a few people that I've wanted to bring on the pod, but I'm not sure because I'm like, ah, your stuff sounds right on the line for is that snake oil or is that valid? And some of it is like a more physical approach to ADHD around um, the effects of balance and sort of occupational therapy stuff. Mm-hmm. It just means I got to learn about that stuff. And so I'm in the process of learning about that stuff. And it seems like it's proving to be fairly valid. So cool. They're going to be on the show in the not too distant future. I've been listening to a couple of, of your podcasts. And do you, do you mind if I share some insights? Sure, please do. Good and bad. Well, I mean, really, again, the focus is on the, the you know, you're, I, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying about like where you started and that Eric saw your hustle. But I, I'm going to guess that Eric saw more there 
and so I just want to I want to share what what I experienced just as a an audience member. First of all, just absolutely disarming. Disarming in the sense of very personal, very approachable. It's just Thank Brendan. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Just you. Right? Not putting on airs and and really getting quickly to the relevant content that's available in that 30-minute session, 45-minute session. There's a there's a matter of preparation there and a, and a lot of focus on the guest and having the guests tell their stories, right? That you see the power in, in having that individual tell from their perspective and that stories have power and really putting the story first above everything else. Absolutely. I was an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, there also seems to be kind of a, in the, I, I listened to Dave, Pilkey, I listened to um, Dave Garrett, I think it was, and uh, Renee Brooks, and I've listened to a couple others. And, and then, of course, you and I spoke. And there seems to be kind of, there's a rhythm or process, a way that you engage, and it's very effective. Your process is super effective in the way that it flows from the beginning to the end. But also, it just the variety, too. Um, what you're talking with about with Renee was around esteem. And it was kind of like laid back and kind of you let it really flow. So, so again, there's this uh, uh, flexibility, allowing it to go where it needs to go in the moment. So that was fun to see. And finally, uh, sharing your own story. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that's that disarming, approachable piece. And Eric does that too, mm -hmm. right, of just sharing about themselves. And it's wonderful modeling. Uh, you were talking about Greta earlier and wanting to have her on the podcast. Right. She is just so out there in with herself and her disability or her uh, Asperger's, seeing it as a superpower and, and can articulate so well about her unique brain wiring. That's where this is effective, is being able to cut to the chase through the shame and stigma and get to what is real wanted to share those notes. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast in a lot of ways is to, I mean, there's a reason I developed the wall of awful. I want to get past that shame stuff. I want to help people get past their walls of awful. If I can't own the struggles that I'm having, and I always feel a little bit, a little bit nervous about it because sometimes I'm talking about my family and they're, they know what happens, but they're not like, my guys are 10. They don't, they're not like, yes, dad, go talk about how today was a struggle for you because I didn't want to do my homework or whatever. But that effort to keep things more realistic and more personal is, is intentional. And, and there's different reasons why I do it. Sometimes it's to, to illustrate a point that my guest is making. And I'm like, there are times when I'm listening to someone talk and I'm like, homie, we need a story. Like, we need a story. This is too much information. And if they're not coming with the story, I do it. And that means that I'm probably going to talk about me because I don't feel comfortable talking about clients so much, even though it's confidential, even though I'm not going to use a name. And I throw client stuff in every now and then. And I'm like, I have a client who does this. But, but if it's a struggle, I don't want to share my client's struggles, even if I'm not using names. It just doesn't seem right to me. So I'm going to share my struggles because that's the best I got. And so there, there's, there's that part. And then sometimes it's I'm trying to unpack the concepts that they're talking about. And I'm trying to be like, all right, this is really complicated and deep. And this guy's an expert and he gets it, but he's not explaining it at the level of that my audience might need. 
And I don't doubt for a second that there's folks in the audience with master's degrees who can understand all the things with the big words and all that stuff. But there's also people in the audience who don't have master's degrees and might not have undergrad degrees. And my job is to be them because if I can help, if I can help the 45 year old guy who barely made it out of high school or didn't make it out of high school, understand what's being shared, that's a bigger impact than helping the guy with a college degree or a master's degree understand. So that's empathy and, and appreciating your audience's perspective. And some of the learning I've had is I do a much better job of talking to my interview guests now and saying, have stories. It took me way too long to figure that out. For a long time, I was sharing a story because I felt like there needed to be a story, but I didn't know. I didn't have the cognitive knowledge of it. I was just like, gut, tell a story, let's move on. And then eventually I was like, oh, there's no story here. So now I have developed further to say, bring stories with you. You're talking about the, again, the wisdom that you've developed over a hundred episodes, right? Is in a way you're coaching them to meet with you around this topic and a way to meet right through story and the effectiveness of that. Any additional wisdom or learning about the actual day in, day out through those hundred episodes. We talked about kind of your biggest learning now, but back to like, as you're doing it, was there a wisdom that you picked up or that again was something that you didn't expect? One thing is around editing audio versus writing content. If I want to write a blog post, let's say, there's nothing there. There's nothing to propel me forward. And so if I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do it, then I just don't do it. But I've noticed that when it comes to editing the podcast, as long as I launch the program I use to launch, to edit the podcast, then if I hit play, it's happening. And the fact that someone is now talking out of my computer <laughs> propels me forward and makes me do the editing. I haven't figured out how to apply that to other places yet, but I, it's something that I'm sort of pondering at the moment is what can I do to sort of make the stuff I want to do start before I am am ready for it to start and have it propel me forward in a way that the podcast editing does, but a blank word processing screen never could. Or martial arts at home. Right. Yeah. Going to the dojo, it starts and I have to do it because there's a class at home. That's not what's going on. So, so I love that because you're digging into uh, specifically around ADHD land, right? right? In the sense of activation for task. And I think that I'm appreciating that level of articulation because it's not just about like mustering up the effort to start. We can get things to make it happen, right? Using the word like it propels you forward, yeah. right? You're drawn in. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that's getting your attention. Yeah. And it's sort of like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. Like it, <laughs> there's already noise yeah. coming out of my computer. Another component, another sort of learning aha that is in here is that ADHD is bigger than one might think it is. And so too is parenting. And so I'm kind of lucky that those are my, my niches. Those are my angles, right? Like I have a podcast where I interviewed a woman on how to use your voice as a parenting tool. She was a vocal coach. She was a, a speaking coach. And I just saw her on a Facebook page and was like, that's cool. Could you do an interview about this? And she was like, I've never done that, but yeah, sure. Who talks about using their voice as a parenting tool? But that was where my head went. And so that's parenting being bigger than you might think it is. One of the things I'm looking to do in the not too distant future is 
to start doing some podcasts where I interview people who run activities for kids that would be good for kids with ADHD. So my sensei, for example, um, and what does it mean to, to sign your kid up for martial arts? When do people usually quit? What helps kids stick through it? Um, how much does it cost? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the, the glories of it? And that's anything from martial arts to dance, to baseball, to, to a ropes course or Cub Scouts, just to get parents another perspective on things and give them a little bit of a heads up on what does this mean? What kind of a commitment is this? How do I know when it's okay to quit? Those kinds of things. I really like what you said about how these, again, these two areas of ADHD and parenting are bigger than you initially considered in the sense that there, there's a, a growing element to it. It can, it's sort of like the expanding universe, right? And you can expand with it. So that's awesome. So I've got one more question I like to ask, and you actually just went there, but in the sense of uh, into the future. So imagine you just finished episode 200. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that felt a little exhausting right there. That was funny. That was an interesting little response I had. Like, I said, well, time travel can be exhausting. So what's, what's here at 200 episodes in the bag? That little side quest of the occasional interview on activities for kids to engage in to add a layer. More episodes about screen time and, and the role that that plays in kids' lives and their and the intersection of that and ADHD and attention and emotional regulation and that kind of stuff. Um, driving. I'm working on getting some guests on to talk about ADHD and driving and what does that look like? Because kids drive at 16 in 17 and 18 and that matters. And it's, that's a little more narrow because some of my listeners have kids who are 10 and who cares, but also you should care in six years. So listen now. More sort of topical specific interviews are in there. And also hopefully a couple big gets, Howie Mandel or Adam Savage or someone like that. So I appreciate that. And you're sharing kind of content goals. Mm -hmm. um, I'm more curious about uh, you mm -hmm. and, and who you are, that you're a different person. You're a different person at the 100th episode than you were at the first episode. Right and you've shared that growth and change for you. And so how do you think you're gonna be different at the end of another 100 episodes? In terms of the ADHD community, I hope to be more securely anchored within the ADHD community. And I think that that's already begun to happen with the podcast and it's because of the podcast that that's occurring. Right. I get to interview people and get to meet them and get to know them and get to form relationships like I've done with you, like I've done with Renee Brooks. So that's there. And hopefully I've, um, I hope I get better at the technical side of it, like the sort of audio recording piece of it, because that's an area that I need to improve on. And I, you know, hopefully I continue to enjoy it, because if it starts to become too much of a slog, I can see myself being like, I'm done. But that's, I don't think that that will happen. I really enjoy the conversation side of it and the interview pieces. Um, hopefully the community grows, hopefully the, because it's not just an audience, it's a community. And hopefully more people have joined the Facebook group so that I can interact with them and more people are finding my services beneficial, whether it's the free service that is the podcast or some of the more sophisticated and premium stuff like the ADHD parent coaching groups that I run. Um, and, and hopefully my relationships within parenting circles gets more significant because that's the next direction I need to grow in is, is get more specific parenting experts on and they can be the expert on parenting and I can be the expert on ADHD and we can meet in the middle. 
So um, just being mindful of time, do you have any uh, ending essentials that you want to share with the audience? The number one thing that I want my, my audience to hear from me in the context of the 100 episodes is that you just have to keep moving forward, taking what works and letting go of what doesn't. And eventually you get there it, and it takes a long time and it's hard. And there are days when you don't want to do it anymore. But if you give into that, then you're not doing it anymore. And so find a way to space it out enough so that it doesn't overwhelm you. Cause if I was dropping a podcast episode every day, I would not still be doing a podcast. A week is just the edge for me. But I think if it was every other week, I wouldn't be taking it seriously and I would have lost focus. So I needed that every week thing to keep the focus and keep it just enough of a grind anxiety motivator to let me continue to do it. But yeah, it's just keep going and going and take what works and let go of what doesn't and let go of the shame and the guilt because that's never helpful. <laughs> Welcome to the second half of episode 100. You just listened to an interview with Cameron Gott where he interviewed me. And now... We're going to talk to my children, Nathan and Gavin, because they were so excited about episode 100 that they wanted to be on it. And now, what you've all been waiting for, me and Gavin, on episode 100. Happy 100th episode, Daddy! <laughs> Thank you, Nate. Gavin, do you want to say anything? This time, we're interviewing Daddy, mostly. So, Daddy, what do you like about Kempo? Oh, are we going to go through the questions that I asked you on your episode? Yes. What do you like about Kempo? The things that I like about Kempo are I like the focus that it gives me when I'm sparring or practicing my techniques. I like the friends that I've made there. And I, I especially like Phil, who is the, he runs the dojo, right? Master Phil is awesome. I enjoy talking to him. I enjoy learning from him. So all that stuff's good. Um, and I also really like it that you guys have joined the dojo too, and that Kempo is becoming a family activity and not just a me activity. I think that's pretty great. And also, if I'm being honest, I like knowing that I know how to fight. Like there's some, I guess, some comfort in that. Not that I really ever expect to use it. And I also like Mondays, we do Qigong and meditation and that kind of stuff. And I really enjoy that part of it too. Even when it's hard, like it was yesterday. And how might you feel about Pablo the heavy ball? Pablo is fine, I guess. He's good. Uh, one of the exercises I'd like to do with Pablo is to kind of throw him up in the air and catch him with each hand, with my hand pointing down. So I kind of like whip him up and catch him and then throw him in the other hand because it strengthens your grip. What's hard about Kempo? I think I actually mentioned this with Cameron in the first half of this episode, but the hardest thing about Kempo for me is practicing. It is difficult for me to practice mainly because of my ADHD. It just, it's just a thing that I find difficult to activate for. Um, but I also find timing hard. Like I don't always have enough time to practice my Kempo. I don't even always have enough time to go to Kempo because sometimes we're doing a Cub Scout activity instead or something similar. That is what's hard about Kempo. That's a good way to lead us into Cub Scouts. What do you like about Cub Scouts? The thing that I like most about Cub Scouts is the connection that it's given us to each other 
from camping and hanging out with each other. And also the way it's connected us to our town a little more closely. I know we've made a pretty good number of friends in town as a result of it. And we march in the parades and people say hi to us and wave to us and recognize us and that kind of stuff. And I also, I enjoy camping and I like learning some of those wilderness skills and how to do that stuff. Cause as you know, I stopped doing Cub Scouts when I was Weeblo. So you guys have already beat me cause your arrows are light. You're already gone further than I did. Um, it's also, it's a great to watch you guys mature and become more independent and become leaders. We went camping last weekend. There were a lot of changes for the two of you that I noticed from last weekend as compared to the time we camped before. Last weekend, you were much more independent of me. You were going off and playing with your friends and wandering away much further than you used to. Like you went off and tracked down some geocache with one of your buddies. No adults with you. You just went into the woods, which is fine because you're an AOL and you're allowed to do that now. And you also helped us put the flags away and stepped up to do some responsibility stuff, not just with the flags, but also with sweeping out the cabin. And we didn't even sleep in the cabin. We slept in the tent, but you guys still helped to clear that out because the cabin was a wreck because it rained. So people are tracking mud down the hallway and stuff. And you guys did a really good job of contributing and, and showing some leadership. So it's great to watch that happen. Throwing marshmallows at the crowd was also fun. True. Yeah. That was a great skit you guys did. And, and you were the MCs for the skits. You guys were the ones introducing each skit and being leaders in front of the in front of our campfire. So that was pretty awesome to watch. Gav, are you up next? Yep. What's hard about Cub Scouts? The hardest part of Cub Scouts is um, that it competes with Kempo and that sometimes it competes with my ADHD stuff. It's frustrating for me when we have a week where Cub Scouts is happening and that means I can't go to the dojo as much as I would like to. That happened last week and it's gonna happen I'm actually missing Saturday at the dojo for at least the next two weeks, maybe three, um, because I got other stuff I got to do. So that stuff, that part is tricky. Other than that, not too much is hard. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty well-run, well-organized organization, but I just don't have enough time to do all the things that I want to do, I guess. What do you like about your ADHD work? Um, lots of stuff. I like the people that I meet. I like getting to help people. I am proud of myself for pulling this off. Um, when mom and I were talking about doing this and hoping that I could figure out how to run a small business, there was a lot of anxiety about that. We weren't sure that it would work. I think I had more confidence than mom did, but some of that is because I'm like a wide-eyed optimist and tend to think that I can do anything and mom is more realistic and recognizes the risks that I overlook but it's nice to know that I've managed to set up this business and that I'm making real big people money as I like to refer to it um, I'm not quite making as much money as I would be would be earning if I'd stayed as a teacher but I'm pretty close at this point and uh, I am looking at 25% growth over last year so that's cool I also really enjoy doing this podcast. I don't love the editing part, but I like getting to connect to so many different people, both in the ADHD community and outside of the ADHD community. And I like getting to help, especially parents, manage ADHD more effectively. I really enjoy helping parents understand their kids better and 
bring their families together in a tighter, more connected, more respectful way. That's the stuff that I, that's the stuff that I enjoy most about the ADHD work. Nate? What's hard about doing ADHD work? Having ADHD and trying to do it is hard because I have to, I have to be the one to do it. I don't have a boss to make me do anything anymore. So I have to be the boss and I have to make myself do the stuff that I need to do even when I don't want to. So that's hard. Um, editing can be hard sometimes, editing this podcast. Emailing is the bane of my existence and it's just, I'm so bad at it. It's really, really hard for me to do my emails and reply to people and get all that stuff done. So much so that I've taken to occasionally going out to breakfast or to the library or something and I just sit and I do emails to get past that wall of awful because I think I kind of have a wall of awful for email. I think that is the thing that happened. So um, those are the things that are hard about the ADHD. And you know what else is hard about it is, um, is having to be away from you guys sometimes. Like when I go to do a workshop at night and I'm not home with you guys, that's hard. And also those evening workshops often compete with Kempo. Um, they don't compete with Cub Scouts because Cub Scouts happens on less often than Kempo. But being away from you guys can be hard. And I'm heading off to the, to the International Conference on ADHD next week. So I'll be gone from Thursday to Sunday. That's going to be hard to not be hanging out with you guys. I mean, I know mom can handle it and mom's got you. And I'm not worried about that part. It's just the fact that I don't get to see you guys. I don't get to see mom. And I love my family and like to hang out with you. So, so that, that part is hard about, um, about doing the ADHD work as well, is that some of it's evening hours and every now and then I have to travel. What's it like doing a podcast with me and Gavin? I like it when you guys are on the episodes. It's fun. It would be hard, I imagine, to interview an ADHD person with you guys there because you just don't have the same knowledge base that I have, and um, that might be tricky. But having you on the Dave Pilkey episode was great because you know Dave Pilkey's work. You guys are the reasons I had him on. You wanted me to interview him. And then having you interview Lala, my sister Lauren, for episode 50 was a lot of fun because she's your aunt and you know her. And so you could connect to her really well. And that was exciting. Um, and then these two little episode pieces that we've done with the bonus episode and now this, it's fun to get to talk to you guys about how you look at the world and to hear your questions for me um, and to get to tell you a little bit about how I look at the world. Because one of the things that's interesting about doing the podcast is the nature of a podcast, the nature of these interviews is to talk about things in a way that people don't ordinarily talk about stuff. And it's much more open. It goes a lot deeper and it's an excuse to have a more meaningful conversation. We would not have had the conversation about Kempo and Cub Scouts in school that we had a couple weeks back in real life. That wouldn't happen. That would be weird. But because of the nature of a podcast, it's totally normal. Um, and so it's fun to have this slightly different kind of conversation with you. Go ahead, Gav. What do you like about our family? I like lots of stuff about our family. I like our family adventures. I like our family traditions. I like hanging out on the couch and watching shows with each other and snuggling with mom and snuggling with you guys. And, and I like watching the two of you grow and I like watching mom grow. I like the fact that mom is challenging herself in new ways and, and sort of pushing herself to do new things. Like when she got that master's degree recently, 
I like watching the two of you challenge yourselves in new ways and try new things. You're going to Kempo like three times a week now and you're much more involved than Cub Scouts and that's pretty awesome. It's exciting that you have a purple belt test coming up. It's exciting that you're about to become Boy Scouts. So Cub Scouts is going to get left in the dust and you're going to be moving on to Boy Scouts and that is pretty incredible. That's pretty awesome. So that stuff is is great. And, and also that we have such a close family that we don't tend to argue and bicker that much. I mean, we do. We have arguments like any other family, but but we don't argue as much as some families do. Um, and we and in the bigger picture, we make an effort to spend time with mummy's family and with my family, and we have those things as well. And it, it, even beyond like normal, typical things, beyond Thanksgiving and Christmas and Passover and that stuff, we also spend time doing other things. Like we mentioned in your bonus episode that we went on that adventure to see a live recreation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But what we might not have mentioned was that Mummy's parents were there and my dad was there when we went to go see that, that event. And also we went out to dinner and, and it was, it's just really nice. I like, I like that our family is as connected as it is. Um, and I like that even when we're struggling, even when things are hard, we turn towards each other and support one another instead of turning away and getting frustrated or, or disconnecting. Go ahead, Nate. What's hard about our family? I think it's mostly normal stuff that's hard for about our family. Not quite having enough time. Everybody feels that way. It was certainly hard when mom had the ACL surgery and was laid up on the couch and I was doing all of the driving and running all of the errands. And on top of that was taking mom to physical therapy and to the doctor and all that stuff. And for a little while, that was really challenging. Um, it's hard sometimes when I am stressed out and I am having a hard day because I have a lot on my plate sometimes and that that's the ADHD side of life. Sometimes I have a little more to do than I would like to, and then I can be grumpy and it's great that you guys tell me that and call me out on it so that I can fix it. It's great that we figured out that sometimes when I'm grumpy, maybe even often when I'm grumpy, it's really because I'm having those small asthma attacks and I don't notice it my brain is like you don't have enough oxygen so I do my inhaler and feel better in about three minutes um it sometimes it's hard when you guys are feeling frustrated about school that stuff can be a little bit hard right it can be a little bit hard when when you guys get grumpy or when mom gets grumpy that stuff's hard but that's being in a family we're gonna have conflict sometimes go ahead Gav what family traditions do you like my hands down favorite family tradition is the movies in the backyard. I love doing movies in the backyard. I love having people come over and watching the movies and roasting marshmallows and having a fire. Um, I love it that we've recently added a little bit of grilling to that. So now people can come over and we can have some hamburgers and hot dogs and make some chili in the Dutch ovens and then watch a movie. I think that's great. I'm looking forward to doing that next year once it, the weather warms up. I like Christmas. I'm a big fan of Christmas and our Christmas traditions. I'm already buying Christmas presents here and there because it's just exciting for me. I love giving you guys presents and giving mommy presents and everybody presents. Um, I love that mom, mom's family is Jewish. And so there's these new traditions for me. I mean, they're not new anymore, but they were when mom and I first got married and were first getting together. So I like, I really like Passover. I think that that's a really fun fun holiday. And um, it's probably my favorite holiday overall in terms of concept. I really like it that 
the point of Passover is to retell the story of Passover. That's unique. As far as I know, there's not a lot of other holidays that retell a story. You know how important stories are to our family. So I really dig that holiday. Matzah ball soup. Yes, and matzah ball soup. I know how much you love that, Gav. Um, that's true. My favorite dish that comes from grandma and grandpa, from mom's family, is the sweet potato pie. That stuff is delicious. Those are the family traditions I like the most. I'm not going to count camping as a family tra tradition because mom doesn't come. Otherwise, I would say that's a family tradition. That was one of my favorites. But since mom doesn't come, it's not quite the whole family. Daddy, do you have any ending essentials that you would like to share with the audience? As I am sort of thinking about what I've been talking about, the two themes that have come out of this are feeling like I have a lack of time and valuing connection within our family. And those two themes compete with one another. So I have to make sure that I'm making time to spend connecting with you guys and with mom. Um, and my frustrations come when I'm not having enough time to get my responsibilities done and I count connecting with you guys and with mom and with my dad and my sisters and mom's parents and mom's sisters. I count those things as a responsibility in the same way that I count editing this podcast and I count going to Kempo and I count working with clients, going to a Cub Scout meeting as responsibilities. I think that it's critical that as parents, we prioritize time and connection with our families just as much as all the other things that we might need to do. So Nathan and Gavin, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience? Now for the big finale. Ending essential that you've all been waiting for. If you've seen episode 96, get to it already. Crazy Saturday. Nate, you can tell the beginning. It started off, we went to our nearby Barnes & Noble and saw our favorite author, Justin Rocka Hansen. You should totally read his books, they're awesome. And then we went to Walmart and bought some sunglasses and went to the bathroom where we were picked up by our aunt so that she could drive us to the docks. Gab, I want you to tell some. But instead of bringing us to the docks, she brought us to Lisa's house, where Justin LaRocca Hansen was with a different shirt. Because Lisa is Justin's mom, right? Yeah. And I was with you this whole time. We were driving down to the Cape to go on a boating trip. Yes. <laughs> and by now, yours and you were starting to go out of your mind by now. Yes, I was feeling a little anxious at that point because a detail that we left out was that Nate was just getting over being sick and having a weird mysterious rash. So I was getting anxious because I drove my car thinking I was going to, I was thinking I was going to drive my car to the dock to get on the boat. And then if we had, if something went wrong, we would have to get the boat back to the car. And that was a little nervous. I didn't think anything bad was going to happen with Nate, but I was still a little nervous. But then that turned into meeting Lala at, Walmart halfway to the Cape so that we could all go continue to the Cape in her car. And then I was like, okay, so now I don't have my car, but at least Lauren can drive us to the doctors if necessary. And then 
Lala didn't take us to the dock. Lala took us to Lisa's house. We parked there and Lisa drove us to the dock. So now we're a little further away from being able to easily get to a doctor if Nathan got sick or threw up or whatever. And I didn't think that was going to happen because he was mostly better, but I was still feeling like I'll taking a little bit of a risk. So as I got further and further away from my resources, I got a little more worried. Yeah, and Lisa drove us there. We were finally at the docks. Lisa left, so that made you even more anxious. Mm -hmm. And we got on the boat, and we waited for everyone else to show up. It didn't take too long. And on our way to Martha's Vineyard, Papa was going crazy fast, and Dee, our aunt, was very nervous. And then we finally made it there. Then he asked who we were supposed to be meeting, where she was. And she was at the water taxi. So we went there. This is when it gets good. Jack was hanging off the boat to, get, to jump onto the docks. So we're starting to park, but it's at an angle. I get off the boat, but... Nate, Daddy, Dee, Lola, and well, everyone except me was still on the boat. And Papa goes shooting backwards and Jack falls into the water. And now, and then Papa starts coming forward again. And our cousin Jack is going to get hit. But luckily, everyone on the dock manages to get Jack out of the way in time. So now me and Jack are on the docks. Jack is soaked. He lost his shirt. Everyone is wondering how I got on. And eventually Papa gets parked and everyone gets onto the docks. And I'll let Daddy tell a little bit now. What was going on was my dad was trying to park the boat at the dock. And it was, he came in at a weird angle. And Jack was behind my dad stepping from the boat to the dock because Jack is six foot six and has long legs and can do that. Gavin was up front, saw Jack getting off and just hopped from the front of the boat onto the dock. And rules of the boat are that you wait for the captain to tell you when to get off, which is not what Jack did. And since Gavin saw Jack doing it wrong, Gavin did it wrong too. Um, so when Jack fell in, my dad actually stopped the boat pretty quickly and Jack swam and got on the dock and everybody was safe and sound. But yeah, it was a little scary. My sister Dee, who was Jack's mom, was especially concerned and anxious about her son almost getting run over by a boat because it was dangerous. And then my dad sort of motored off with his friend Pam to, to commemorate um, the passing of Pam's father, I believe, by throwing some rose petals in the ocean. And the rest of us were just on Martha's Vineyard, an island, with no boat to get off, uh, which was a surprise for me. I didn't realize that was happening. And we just kind of did our thing, and we didn't actually eat lunch because we didn't know when my dad was coming back. And it was it was kind of a kind of a wacky, crazy day. I did have to talk to my kids about how most children don't get to hang out with their favorite author and then go to his house and then go to Martha's Vineyard. I promise you, audience, we are not that cool, but we had one of one of those days where you got to be a little bit cooler than you think you are until your nephew falls in the ocean. Uh, what you missed was we went to one of the oldest 
carousels in mm -hmm. the world. Yep. And then later, when we got back to the docks, Lisa picked us up and drove us back to her house where Justin Rocket Hansen was with his third different shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we did see Justin the Rocket Hansen in three different outfits the three times we saw him. Um, so yeah, so that was our crazy Saturday that the boys have been so excited to tell you about. I hope that you all have a story that is equally as exciting. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.